Hi, welcome to Commercial Real Estate Eyes Wide Open podcast. My name is Ann Hambly, and I'm the host of this podcast. And today I'm very honored to have with me Chris DeCoflay from CBRE. He is the managing director of the retail capital markets team for the U.S. at CBRE, and he's got an extensive background. Um, so welcome, Chris. I'm really happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Ann. I want to start out by sharing. I think this is really interesting. Um, we at, at First Service Solutions, we um, we're really half of what we do. I think is find information uh, that's available in the marketplace about what property types are doing, and then try to make sure we're poised to help clients in whatever area is needed at the time. Um, and sometime recently, we posted a information about retail and what we thought we were seeing, which is that there'd be more stress in retail as a result of, you know, shopping habit changes and COVID and all that. And you um, commented and said, you know, you were seeing something a little bit different. And so I said, ooh, would you be willing to share that on a podcast? Because you you have great insights and you're directly, you know, in touch with the retail market. So with that, let me just shoot that out as a general topic, Chris, and you and I can fill 20 minutes, no problem. So <laughs> start with that. How's that? Yeah, it, it, no problem. And it might be interesting to compare retail to the other product types because it's really fascinating we call this cycle the everything bagel cycle. And we call it the everything bagel cycle because everything's happening at once that usually doesn't happen. And so you have a lot of opposing forces occurring at the same time. From a capital markets perspective, you still have more equity than ever, but you have debt that's being priced wildly different than it was six months ago. And it's very hard to, to price the debt side, but we still have a lot of capital. Usually when these sort of capital events occur, and it's still occurring, so I don't know, we know, we don't know where things are going to land here. Usually uh, retail is the first one to go in a ditch, um, primarily because retail historically is overbuilt, um, so on and so forth. But for the last 12 years, we've had um, almost no real construction or development in retail as a percent of the whole for 12 years in a row. So now we go into this cycle and the fundamentals are the best in our careers. And in fact, if anything, uh, you know, if you're a leasing agent in America, you cannot find space for your tenants to lease. And tenants for the first time are looking at rollout plans and saying, this is, I can't do this. I can't find the space. So it's really a fascinating time in real estate because you know, there's a big spread between contract rents and market rents for most projects. Um, there's a shortage of great space. Uh, and at the same time, inflation has really changed the TI uh, component. So if I'm a tenant and I want to relocate, let's say even find a space, I can't even afford the TI of, or the landlord can't afford the TI. So I'm, I'm, in other words, tenants are stickier than ever to their existing location. In fact, if you're closing a location, you're probably closing your store. So it's, it's, it's really a fascinating time. And, you know, and I guess just one other quick metric, if you think about retail, our group, and we're one of several national firms, but our group in the last 12 years, 12 months have sold about eight, $9 billion of retail. And that entire book of business is 20 to 40% less than replacement cost. So that's the only product type where that, that's occurring. You know, another, uh, th some of the basics to ask you too is, 
um, like any property type at the high level, we say retail, but within retail, there are certainly lots of subcategories and those are important to distinguish. What, what are those? I mean, we know of malls and, you know, cover those if you would. Yeah, that's a great question, Anne. You know, first of all, the, the main demarcation is enclosed malls and open air. And so that's a real jumping off point for both values and fundamentals. Uh, enclosed malls, believe it or not, their fundamentals are, are actually incredibly strong. And that's a big surprise, but they're still very difficult to transact, very difficult to get debt. And it's still difficult to understand what bets you should make on them from a capital perspective. So that's still a, a very challenging asset class. Open air retail is very different, though. Open air uh, retail on a whole, all the winners are, are very easy to see. And I would say most of the product types are winners. As we, as we think about it, the larger format retail power centers, um, very strong fundamentals, uh, again, you know, significant sort of mark-to-market opportunities, not just in the shops, but also in the boxes. You know, if I'm a box tenant trying to open in America, I can't find space. You know, there's actually, most landlords are hoping they get back their Bed Bath Beyonds because they typically occupy the best space in a power center. And because the leases are so old, uh, there's some of the lowest rents. So that's interesting and not something that we would have been so excited about in past cycles. If you think about the, the community and grocery anchored centers, neighborhood centers, they're super strong. And if you look at the rent rolls, they're dominated by service tenants. So they're not really widgets. They're not, you know, there's very few tenants that are, re, that are really subject to kind of the Amazon effect. Um, and, you know, I think as we think about the grocer segment, you know, we think about the number one or two leading grocers in those markets and those regions you know, we've seen just tremendous comp sale increases post-COVID. Some of that is consumer behavior. A lot of it is inflation, but, you know, it certainly bodes well for health ratios and whatnot. You know, then as you get into, you know, slightly uh, more, you know, sort of niche type uh, segments, you have street retail, which as long as it's in the neighborhoods have come back really, really strong. Some of the street retail that's focused towards you know, touristy places where the downtowns haven't come back yet, and there's still a few of those in the States, you know, those have been impacted, but the street retail serving neighborhoods and, you know, more local residents are super strong. And then lifestyle, lifestyle is making a mild comeback. Um, you know, it's still uh, very fashion forward. And if you think about their rent rolls, there's a more exposure to internet competition and frankly, um, you know, consumer, consumer trends, but frankly, their, their numbers look really good. So those are the big ones. Do you think, um, you talked about, um, well, I'm going to use it as shopping habits, right? But so, I mean, just retail 101 and that, that's where I'm coming from here. Um, we, we have, I, I, I wrote an article a long time ago and it, it just, it's kind of like relevant here where, my mom's generation, who's in her mid eighties, when she needed to buy a new, you know, call it black pair of pants, right? She went to a mall and walked in a closed mall and walked around all the different stores to find it. My kids, um, so skip my generation for a minute, my kids probably never would normally first go there. They would first go online. And I was kind of in the middle. This is all pre-COVID, you know? Yeah. And then COVID, of course, impacted the 
I think the, the, the amount that was bought online versus brick and mortar, but it's funny when you look at the numbers and the statistics, it's really not that horribly drastic. My question to you is talk about that. Do you think we're, do you think we've seen the shift already of, you know, online habit, shopping habits changing, or is that still affecting retail? You know? I mean, it's still, it's, it, you know, I think, I think really the omni-channel discussion is the discussion where yeah. you, you have to service the customer at a lot of different points. So for example, 95% of Target's, you know, fulfillment, online fulfillment occurs in the store. So in other words, you know, consumers, you know, they buy online, then they go to the store and then Target has the opportunity to sell them more stuff. And yeah. so, uh, you know, you could see by Amazon, you know, their stock performance is very telling. The amount of space they're giving back is very telling. They they thought the line would keep going up. It hasn't. It's flattened. You know, they will have to look at their business model a little bit. They're not going anywhere. But, you know, like anyone in the retail business, you always have to reinvent yourself. So those are probably the, the two extremes. You know, you also have grocers exploring what does it, is it profitable for me to deliver grocers or not? Maybe it is in New York City, maybe it's not in Tulsa. And so, you know, under, there you'll still see a lot of experimentation. Mm -hmm. You know, I think as it relates to apparel, apparel is interesting and, you know, apparel is finicky and trends are finicky. You know, I, I can tell you, my kids have have tried to buy online, but it's a it, you, you see some of it and it's, yeah, it's yeah. junk that arrives yeah. at the uh, house. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I think with the last back to school and uh, whatnot, we went to the mall and they were like blown away. Oh, look at this. This wow. is incredible. So, <laughs> you, you know, I. <laughs> I think there's room for everything, but I think more than anything, you've got to be as a retailer, whether you're online or or uh, omni-channel or only sticks and bricks, you really have to be, um, you know, nimble. And I think circling back, that's the advantage of open air because open air, you're able to rework a site plan, you're able to demise, you're able to tear down. Hey, I can densify that and build apartments. I can reshape this it's much more capital efficient than say in closed mall so it's easier for both the landlord and tenants to to be nimble for example let's say hey i've got to make sure that i can have tenant my customers pick up merchandise that they ordered online well that's perfect for open air that's a perfect environment for open air so let's think about our site plan and how to do that in our stores and whatnot okay and like the the um I think you mentioned, uh, and I, I hadn't thought of it this way, but like the Bed Bath & Beyonds, or when you hear that they're going to potentially close a bunch of stores, um, you said some landlords are, you know, not so depressed that they're going to close the store because they they look to use it for a different, I, I think I heard you say that. I mean, could you elaborate more on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I that, you know, generally Bed Bath & Beyond had, had did a great job getting generally some of the best spaces and centers. They have uh, very low rent structures, single digit rent structures. So maybe they're paying eight, nine bucks. That space is worth $15 now if you could get it back, maybe more, 16, 18, 20. And so uh, I, I don't see it, you know, Bed Bath, if they're going to be a going concern, giving a lot of space back because it's far more valuable empty than with them in there. And so when you think about that, you know, 
uh, certainly they do have to probably trim their fleet, but I think before, and I have no special knowledge, I would think that they would want to, you know, really look very hard at their concept and proving it because if you think about it, they have a basis in a lot of terrific real estate at irreplaceable occupancy costs. So, you know, what will be interesting for them is whether they can sort of reinvent themselves and take advantage of the quality of their space and their occupancy costs. If they can't, I don't think you're going to see any landlords really concerned over it. I think they, they'd be happy to get the space back. What do they do with it then? Is Are there replacement the, tenants? Every every good center has a list of tenants trying to get in. Okay. So, oh, okay, good. Yeah, good. I, I, they, that will not be an issue. What do you see for 20? So one of the bigger non-property specific events or issues, I, I loved your everything bagel concept. So this is one of the flavors on the bagel or one of the you know seasonings or something is um, the capital market, you know, the interest rates and stuff. So how do you see that impacting re- retail trades in 2023? Do you think there'll be a lot of trades or uh, I, I know that's I mean, trading volume. Yeah, trading volume will be down, but I think, um, you know, how much we're not sure, but there will be lots of trades primarily because our cap rates are a lot higher than the other product types. So 50, 100 BIP, you know, adjustment to debt, it doesn't mean as much if you're paying a seven or eight cap than if you're multifamily or industrial at a three or four cap. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it, it's important, but not as important. Okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, having said that right now, at this exact moment when we're in sort of, let's call it the peak of, we're not sure what's going to happen, it's not prudent to take out a large asset um, now, if you don't have to, you should you should generally wait probably till the second quarter onward. Right. Um, and are you do you you're head of origination for uh, retail too? I don't do I don't uh, handle the debt side. But we work very closely with them. You know, by the nature okay. of we do. Yeah. Okay. I think, you know, I think you're generally we're still seeing um, you know pro you know assets that are sub thirty million. There's ample debt. It's you know it's okay. different types of lenders than you might expect. There still is CMBS debt. As you get up to larger assets, the debt is, um, you know, harder to price and harder to count on. And so I think as larger transactions, we would be cautious about taking to market. I think what's really interesting right now is that, uh, you know, assume debt is a massive, massive benefit for pricing and liquidity. So as I think about what you folks do, and you didn't ask me to say this, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's more important than ever to think about how a debt assumption is accretive to pricing, how a debt assumption, you know, can help make a transaction. Um, it's really, really critical. And I'd say that's, that would go for every product type, type not just retail. Yeah, I, I do agree with, uh, thank you for saying that too. And I do agree. Um, everyone that I've talked to has said they think assumptions will be you know, up a lot for the next, for, for a while, because interest rates just are so, you know, so high, high, you know, compared to these um, incredibly low rates that you could sometimes assume. There are so many deals where I pull the file and the, and the current interest rate on the deal is, you know, 4%, right? And compared to what you can get today, it makes the assumption pretty, pretty, um, you know, a, a palatable or appealing, I should say. Um, so, Parting words. I mean, we're about at our time. This has been very, very informative. And I really like hearing your perspective on this. Um, 
you know, sometimes we hear about, you know, we got the COVID, you can get sucked up with like anything in the news today, depending on where you listen to it, you can get sucked up with lots and lots of slants, you know, and you got COVID and you've got interest rate changes and you've got the Amazon effect, which you mentioned. And so it's sometimes easy to get, you know, focused on those things and not see the bigger picture. And, you know, so I, I really appreciate your views on this today. And we can't, oh, we can't ever forget that we can't, retail's not one big general, it's a general category, but there's a lot of subcategories and the subcategories really matter here. It's not, they're not all the same. And um, so, and I agree with your everything bagel. I love that. And everything is happening all at once. <laughs> People ask me sometimes, what happened last time in your experience when all these events were occurring? <laughs> like it's, it's never happened before where anyone wanted to assume a CMBS loan willingly, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Um, so parting words, Chris, for anybody listening that might have retail, um, you know, any, any parting words to them for what they can look for in 2023? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's more than more 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 of the same. I mean, if you think about you know, if you just think about like like the business, and let's detach capital markets from fundamentals. Capital markets, they're doing what it's going to do. It's very hard for us to see exactly how that's going to play out. You know, obviously, there's you know, there's the the government fight against you know inflation. There's also there's a lot of other factors as well. You know, there's you know, the money center banks and regional banks are being asked to up the reserve. So they're not lending. So there's a lot of factors as it relates to the debt side of it that we can't quite control or at least know what's going to happen. You know, from a fundamentals perspective on an asset level, you know, I think most, if most, if not all uh, owners of retail know that this is a moment where they absolutely have the candy. They can be a lot, mm -hmm. lot tougher with tenants in terms you should always be a partner with your tenant and retail, but let's just say that it's fair to say that the tables are even or turned towards the landlord. So it's a time to kind of kind of lean into those fundamentals and take an opportunity to, you know, upgrade your upgrade your rent roll to either by credit or type of tenant um, or or rent. And I think all those things are on the table now. So it's a it's a unique time. Good. Well good. That's that's very good to hear. Um, well, listen, I really appreciate your time today, your insight and, uh, you know, taking the time to do this with me. I know your schedule is very busy and you probably have better things to do than do a podcast, but I really appreciate you taking the time to do that, Chris. It's an absolute pleasure. And thanks for everything you do. Bye-bye.